0: to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday, the 29th of July, 2012, entitled, Going for Gold. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, it's kind of hard to have missed uh, what kicked off on, on Friday evening in this country right now as, the of uh, course, the Olympics uh, uh, began. And uh, as we go into youth camp this week, that's going to be the theme of our youth camp throughout the uh, uh, the week this week. And uh, you pray for me as we minister to those workers in the morning before they get turned loose with all the kids. It's this chapter that I've been praying over and studying over that uh, uh, again as we look at the uh, at the theme. And uh, just want to share a few simple thoughts uh, this evening, uh, beginning with the reading of Philippians. Uh, chapter three, uh, we're going to read the 21 verses here, and then we're gonna come back and, and look at the things, and I guess that, uh, of course, you'll see the text from verse 14 that is up there, uh, it's kind of where we'll be heading to, uh, but uh, we'll cover part of it this evening and part of it next Sunday, God willing. Uh, let's begin by reading the uh, the chapter. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word, beginning in Philippians chapter three, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things are gain to me that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. brethren. be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things." For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that lives within us, Lord, that Lord, is the one that can take and make these words alive into our hearts. Help us, Lord, not to just hear the words with our ears, but to hear with our hearts this evening. Father, I pray that you would speak to us that which we need to hear, that which, Lord, you know as you look within, not on the outside. Father, you know the needs of each one that is present. So we pray, Lord, for your glory, for your honor, and everything that's said and done. And we give you all the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Of course, as the Olympics opened on Friday evening, there was something like 204 countries that were represented with their athletes that, that marched through the, uh, the stadium there. Um, you know, the greatest dream and desire of every one of those athletes was that gold medal. Um, I mean, they all knew that they are, probably had little chance, many of them, but they're there to try anyway. Anyway. But that would be their dream. That would be the desire. That would be the greatest fulfillment of what they are doing there is to stand on the podium and have that gold medal around their necks. Well, the Apostle Paul is quite clear in Scripture that he enjoyed athletics and he used those things as illustrations as he has given us in in, in different places in Scripture and as he is doing so here, but of course... You know, verse 14, when he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, will come to realize that certainly is using the athletic metaphor, using a runner as the example of what he was doing in his spiritual life. Our thought over these next few things as we look at some things out of this chapter is going for the gold. You know, that has to be our goal. That has to be where that that we are headed. But so many times as we look around and as we run the races of this life, um, sometimes our goals can be different things. Uh, I want us to look at this and recognize that as we are in this spiritual race, that you can have the gold. You can win that gold medal. You can win the greatest honor, the greatest privilege, the greatest reward that has ever been given to mankind but it's interesting if you just take a look at this chapter in the whole context of what the apostle paul is saying to us here uh, he begins with a warning to them which is uh, again i guess a common thing because of his his great care uh, we find that as he writes back to uh, to these churches that uh, uh, you know some that he hasn't visited some that he has visited uh, these relationships that have been built. And we find that as he is writing from from prison to the church here at Philippi, that he has a concern for them. And as he writes to them, he, he is giving them a warning here to, uh, uh, to beware of these dogs, of these evil workers, uh, because he says, you know, we are they which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. There are those... That are doing a lot of religious things, but they're doing it in the flesh. They're doing it of their own abilities. And we would be pretty foolish. Uh, I I would be very foolish if I did not uh, recognize and realize that uh, uh, if I were getting in this pulpit and trying to dazzle you with my words and my knowledge and my abilities and all those things that uh, I could make a fool of myself pretty quick. Um, And I would be foolish not to realize that there are a lot of people in this world that may have certainly greater knowledge, that may have greater abilities to do things, that may uh, be greater pulpiteers in being able in their, their way to get their message across. And you would be pretty foolish not to realize that there are those that can stand up and talk about spiritual things and talk about biblical matters, but they're doing it in the flesh. Uh, we find that uh, Paul would specifically have been warning them here against many of the the Judaizers of their day and that he was warning them that there are a lot of those out there doing things in the flesh, but they're workers of evil. Uh, you need to be careful uh, of what you're doing there. And, of course, he goes on and uh, he makes it very clear in verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. They're doing what they're doing in the flesh, well, now, you know, I've got a few things that I could be proud of if I wanted to. I could write up a pretty impressive resume to, uh, to impress men with these, with these fleshly things. Uh, he said, if any man thinketh that he have whereof he may trust in the flesh, I'm more. Well, if they've got something to brag about, I've got more to brag about than most of them do. And he goes on and he gives us quite a list there. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. I mean, he was one of the strictest when it came to it. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I mean, man, he was living a good life. He came from good stock. He had all the privileges. He was a greatly educated man. And what he did, he did with his whole heart. He went out there and he went after it and he genuinely was sincere. I hear that so many times today. Well, preacher, they're all right. They're they're really genuine and they're really sincere about what they're doing. You know, we need to be genuine and we need to be sincere. But we need to be genuine and sincere in the truth. And the simple reality is, is that, you know, I shared with somebody the other day, we were talking about different things, and I said, you know, I remember as a young man, I would have been 18 years old at the time, maybe 19. Uh, I remember uh, arriving the first time in a foreign country in Spain when I went there uh, serving with the U.S. Air Force, And I mean, I got there and first of all, in the town, man, I couldn't understand anybody was saying this was such a strange feeling. I got in that taxi the first time. I can't understand what the taxi driver is saying. His radio is talking stuff that makes no sense to me. Every sign that I see alongside the road, it means absolutely nothing whatsoever. It was quite a picture. I'm sure that evening as we were trying to Use sign language to explain to this taxi driver that that we wanted something to eat, and we wanted something that was that was good to eat, and and uh, our, our communication would have been a lot to uh, to laugh at. Um, so many times, uh, as I look back, and I can remember when I first arrived on that base, and I can remember that again, this was this was all very strange. Here I was, fresh out of college. Now I've got to go out there and put into practice those things that they've been teaching me, and and here we arrive on base, and you know, I didn't know anybody. And the first people that, that came up and befriended me, uh, I went home with one of the gentlemen that I worked with. He took me home to meet his wife and his children and, and, and all of this, and uh, there were some other people there. And they were such nice people, and they greeted me with such warmth, And they got to talking and and, and come to find out they were talking a lot about the Bible. And they they invited me along on Sunday to to services and and to have dinner with them afterwards. And and this went on for a few weeks. And I guess it really doesn't show a whole lot of smartness on my part. But it took me two or three weeks before I realized that that they were talking about the Bible. And they were talking about Christian matters. Uh, But in fact, they were Mormons. Uh, Many of the things they were saying that sounded the same were really... Very different um, sincerity is not you know I've met a lot of genuinely sincere people. Uh, matter of fact, my heart goes out those those people that come knocking on my door and they want to give me uh, one of these watchtower magazines to read and the simple truth is is those people are genuine they're sincere, they think that they're doing what they are doing in order to go to heaven, and they genuinely believe because they have been. Totally convinced, not by the Word of God, but by their organization, that we're all the infidels, that we're all the ones that, that do not have the truth because they have something that's more truthful. Well, man can come up with a lot of things, but we have to have a standard. And Paul is trying to bring the church at Philippi back to God's standard. He's saying there's an awful lot of people out there. You've, you've got to beware, they are genuine. You know, they're doing what they're doing, though, in the flesh. And if we were just talking about the flesh, man, there's all kinds of things that I could, uh, uh, that I could give you a list of that, uh, you know, I could impress a lot of people in the flesh. But notice what he says in verse 7. And I think this begins to tie in. You see, so many times we can look at verse 14 and we can say a lot of things about it, but we miss the whole context of what the Apostle Paul is tying this in with. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He says, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may when christ you see paul builds up this great resume he he warns there's all these people that are operating in the flesh if it were just the flesh i could give you a list and i could do all these things in the flesh but he said there was something that happened to me that made all those things worthless i mean the stock that i came from all that uh, uh, that worldly education all those abilities all those things that Made me who I was, that good life, all those those morals, living according to God's law. I mean, man, I was right in there. But he said, uh, I counted all those things, all of it, lost. Matter of fact, it's nothing but dung, it's nothing but waste, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, not what I can do, not how good I can do it. You know, one of the hardest things for us, isn't it? A lot of times, some of the nicest people that you meet in this world, and they're not Christians. <laughs> now, that not, it ought not to be the case, but I'm just saying, I, I, I've said before, you know, some of the nicest people that I've worked for, non-Christians. Some of the most generous people that I've met, non-Christians. You don't have to be a Christian to be good. You know, somebody, some people get this in their head that you know that somehow that uh, it's because that we're a Christian that we're good. No, we all have the ability to be good. And Paul's just gone through a list here, but he said there came a point when all of those things became nothing. I was willing to lose it all for something else. And the truth is, is that. People can can do some pretty wonderful things in the flesh, in their own abilities. I mean some impressive things. The Apostle Paul's trying to give us this picture here, you know, that he was a pretty impressive person in his own right when it came to a lot of those things that the world counted as impressive. But he said, I was willing to lose it all. I was willing for all that because that stuff was really worthless so that I could win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, the apostle Paul is talking about, Now I want you to notice that phrase, when he began there in, in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. You see, Paul said, there's, I've, I've, I've had great knowledge of this world, but there's, there's a knowledge that's beyond that. There's a knowledge that's beyond what we can can do with the flesh. Notice what, it, what he says there. He talks about the excellency of, of that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of Of the dead, that I may know him. If we begin to really look through what he's writing to these people, he's telling us here about knowing him. He talked about back in in, in verse 8 about gaining him, about gaining Christ. In chapter 1, verse 20, he talked, talked about exalting Christ. In chapter 3, verse 9, he talked about being found in Christ. We find that also in chapter 1, he talked about being with him. The apostle Paul's life had changed. Paul reckoned that to know the Lord, it was was such an excellent thing that it was well worth losing everything else in order to, to gain that knowledge. What did Paul lose in order that he might gain this excellent knowledge, that he might know Christ? What was he willing to count as dung, to count as refuge, to count as as waste? I'm sure that the list could go on as he lists all of his great attributes in man's eyes here. I'm sure it cost him a lot of his friends that he had in the world. I'm sure it cost him a lot of his social prestige, his standing in the eyes of those worldly. Remember, get it out of your head. They're not all bad people. I mean, some of them are good people that are doing good things. But it's willing to count all that. It certainly would have probably cost him some advancement in the world. I'm sure that financially it was not the best thing that he he ever did. And it certainly cost him some physical comforts because of the life that he chose to live. But he lost a lot more than that. Notice what he says in those verses five and six. All of these things. this, This is like what summed up his whole life as a human being everything that he was in this flesh, in this natural life, all of those things. In other words, he was willing to count everything else about him, the best, the very best. He was willing to count it as nothing. You see, he wanted to know the Lord. Well, these had, I'm sure had cost him a lot, had cost a lot of effort. I'm sure that he had made many gains, but in those gains that there had been a lot of sacrificing as well. But yet, although that he had worked so hard for all those years to be who he was, we won't turn there to read, but in Acts chapter 9, verses three to six, we read about something that happened in Paul's life on that Damascus road. He was converted. He was made into a different person. You see, the problem today is there are many people out of the best of intentions, just like Paul gave that warning there, they're trying to live what is supposed to be a Christian life. They're trying to do all these right things and these good things, but it's happening in the flesh The reason that Paul was able to suddenly count all those things as nothing was because there was something that changed. He was converted. His view of life changed. Everything about it changed. And he said, here, I want to know Him. I want to know Christ. We find that that's where our Christian life first begins. You know, can you remember at what point it was in your life. Many of us that are blessed to have been raised in a Christian home, I can't remember a day in my life that I didn't know about Jesus, that I didn't know about the Lord. Uh, I knew about him because I was taught that from a very early age. Some people that come from non-Christian homes, there may be that person in your life, that very first person that ever came along and told you about Jesus, and it might have sounded like a kind of weird thing to start with, something very strange. You'd been living a good life, you'd been doing good things, but somebody comes along. You see, that's what happened. That's the change that took place. If we were to to turn back and read in John chapter three, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, you know, I, I still today I find it amazing. You know. People sometimes they use all their little statements like, oh, you're one of those born again Christians, with those little quotation marks. Or, yeah, he's one of those born again Christians. Well, I got news for you folks. There is no other kind of Christian except those born again Christians. Jesus is the one that said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. That's it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Paul's got all these things that he had accomplished in the flesh, and it was great, and it was wonderful, and a lot of it was good. A lot of it was better than probably some of those Christians. (laughs) He said, all that's worthless to know him, to know him. I'm I'm willing to count all of that. I'm willing to, to lose all of it, to count it as nothing." when he was writing to young Timothy, he said, I know whom I have believed. I know who it is that I have believed in. To know God, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know him, not knowing about him, to know him is salvation. To know him is salvation. We only begin to know him when we trust in him, when we put our faith in him when the Holy Spirit begins to show us those things that the flesh is not able to, we expect unsaved people a lot of times to understand spiritual things. The Bible says that's not possible. It's not going to be. They'll never understand many of those things. Of course, there are different degrees of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. I've totally lost place in my notes here. I I sat down and counted it up so I wouldn't get it wrong, so my wife wouldn't get upset with me. But, you know, I can still remember the first time that I ever saw her, and it was like 38 years ago. Yeah, I was a lot younger then. <laughs> 38 years ago. I remember, you know, that first time that I, that, I, that I literally began to even know that she existed. And the thing was, I knew enough about her within a short period of time that I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And I asked her to do that. You see, I knew her when we got married. 38 years later, I know her in a lot different way than I knew her 38 years ago. And she knows me in a whole lot different way than she knew me. We know 38 years more of each other than we did then. You see, that's kind of what the Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul, at this point, he's been converted. He's come to know Jesus Christ, not just to know about him, but to know him as he's got through spelling it out, as his Lord. We find that he's talking about here this continual process of knowing him better and better and better, knowing him more intimately so so many times We come to know Christ as our Savior. We've got our fire insurance. We know that we don't have to worry about, you know, that awful place one day when we leave this world called hell. We just kind of, you know, we're not careful. Revert back to those fleshly things again. Some of them good. Some of them maybe not so good. But you see, Paul wanted to know him, to know him in his person here But also note note that he says when he's talking about knowing him, it's not just in his person. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ, though many try to come up with other reasons and alternatives, he died. He died when he was humiliated, when he was nailed to that cross. And we know that when he died upon that cross, that he was taken and he was placed in a borrowed tomb belonged to a man named Joseph. Jesus didn't even have his own grave. We know that he was placed there. But we know that three days later, you know, We couldn't be Christians had Jesus not been willing to die that death for us, to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. We couldn't have been forgiven. But folks, we couldn't live for eternity had he not rose the third day. We know if he had left, he took on the sins of the world. He took them all on himself. And if there had been one, that his sacrifice wasn't sufficient to pay for. He could not have come out of that grave because the wages of sin is death. They were all paid for. He was the propitiation. You know I love that word. (laughs) I know we don't use it every day nowadays. Man, he was everything that was required of God that our sins could be dealt with. Every requirement that God had was met in him. That's why that he came out of that grave the third day. The apostle Paul says, I want to know him. Forget about everything that I could accomplish in the flesh. Forget all of those accomplishments that might be there. It's all absolutely nothing beside knowing him and knowing the power of his resurrection, knowing that same power that brought him from the dead, but that same power. You remember what he wrote to the church at Rome? Romans chapter 6, notice what he says in verse 3 and 4. He said, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We're saved from the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 5 and verse 9 says is all about. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ is what saves us from the wrath of God by his death. But we're saved from the power of sin. What does he say in the next verse, in verse 10? For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, his death, that shed blood, that saves us from the penalty of sin. It saves us from the wrath of God. But his life, that saves us from the power of sin. We live by him. His risen life, his resurrected life. Notice what, again, I believe that it was Paul that was writing, but uh, I'm not going to argue the fact in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, and in verse 25, the word of God says, Wherefore? he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And of course, there are many other places that we could look. But what I want us to grasp here is what Paul is trying to say is, hey, there's a lot of people even doing religious things in the power of the flesh. And many of them are very good at it. And hey, I was too. I had a lot of things going for me in the flesh. But there was something that happened in my life that changed my life. And now all those things are worthless. All those things are just refuse. All those things. I'm willing to say goodbye to it all that I might know him, that I might know him, not only knowing his person, but knowing his power. I might know him, the power of his resurrection. The next one's a little bit harder. Knowing his person, knowing his power. Yeah, he even wanted to know his passion. He did. I want to know, he says, the fellowship of sharing his what? his sufferings. Wow. I mean, you know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I mean, he's talking about sharing in the reproach. He's talking about sharing in how did Jesus suffer? He was humiliated before the world. You know, in the flesh, now, I'll be quite honest with you. There's a lot of things in the flesh that don't come easy. You know, it's not always easy to to stand up for what the Word of God says when it's a whole lot easier just to kind of go along with the crowd, just to kind of not upset the, the cart. The truth is, is that, you know, because of, what Jesus Christ was doing because of who he was, he was humiliated. He was mocked. They made fun of him. They actually sped upon him. They belittled him about as little as man could be done before human beings. Paul said, you know what? I'm willing I'm willing to say goodbye to lose all that stuff, everything that I had in the flesh in order to know Him, His person, His power, and His passion. He had the scorn, the humiliation, the sufferings that He endured. Why? On our behalf. Earlier In this same letter to the church at Philippi, he said in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 29, he said, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, wow, but also to suffer for his sake. This is being given to the Christian. Okay, The church has been given to suffer for him. Notice notice what it says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. It says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the Church. You know, if you're part of the body of Christ today, you know, there's a lot of good things that come. But if you stand up and be counted for Christ, Paul said, Hey, you know, I mean, this is this is pretty incredible. Most of the time it would be the other way around. We would be willing to maybe give up some of those things if we did not have to suffer. Paul's saying, I'm I'm willing to count all that as loss that I might know him, that I might know his person, that I might know his power, the power that brought him out of that grave the third day, that I might know his passion, his suffering, his humiliation. I'm willing to give everything up that I might know him, that I might know him that intimately, that I might be identified with his passion, with his suffering that he suffered for me. We can say many things there. I, I, I find that just absolutely, almost, almost beyond my human brain to grasp and to understand, to know Him, His person, His power, His passion. But He also talks about here His purpose. You see, notice what He says. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection... And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. In other words, becoming like him in death. What passage is going to be read at my funeral? Somebody better know. Hope some of you will be there. I've tried to make sure that uh, absolutely everybody knows that if there's anything, if there's anything that takes place, Romans chapter 8 has got to be read from beginning to end. Whatever else makes everybody else happy, that's fine. That's the one thing for me. And you know, it's right there in that great passage that we find, I believe, what the Apostle Paul is talking ter- about. he talking about? Becoming like Jesus, being conformed to him in his death. Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us this. He said in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to what? His purpose. For whom he did foreknow He also did predestinate, whoops, there's that word again, to be conformed, conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. His purpose was, is that though that sin was there destroying you, destroying me, destroying every human being, was that he paid the price for that sin, he took care of the sin problem so that you could be made just like Jesus, like him. Paul said, hey, it's his righteousness that I want, not all the good that I could do, but what Jesus Christ has already done. God's intention, I've said it before, every one of those words there, when you go through them, you know, the foreknowing and and he foreknew and he predestinated and he, he, he called them and he justified them and he glorified them, they're all past tense. I hate to surprise you, but I'm not in my glorified body yet. It just didn't happen yet, but it's as good as done. It can't be undone. He has, which hath begun a good work in you will complete it. He will finish it to the end. There is no chance that it won't be done. God's purpose is that you be rid of sin and all the consequences of the sin and be made just like Jesus. Well, we could look at a lot of other passages there. In Romans chapter 6, he gives us a few things in the beginning of that chapter. In Romans chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? (laughs) You know, God's grace is so wonderful. That's the thing today. Well, people don't want anything to do with the law. People don't want anything to do with authority as we talked about this morning. People love grace. They love the love of God. Well, Why don't we just sin some more so that God's grace can be seen in our lives? The next words he says, God forbid. In the Greek, that was so strong as, how dare you even think such an idiotic thing? (laughs) God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not, we read earlier, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus, Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin the reality is is that the apostle paul he is using the metaphor of a race he is running a race But we need to realize and understand when he's getting in this race, just what it is he's running for, what it is that he's trying to accomplish. And this is what he's telling us here. You see, do we daily count ourselves dead to sin? I don't know about you. When was the last time that you were tempted by sin? Be honest be honest, today, (laughs) today, in the flesh, those temptations are there. The trouble is what what the Apostle Paul is saying, man, we're still so hung up on all these natural things, even the, the good things and the very best in this world. He says, don't you realize I would just count all of that as nothing. I would lose it all oh, that I might know him, that I might know his person, that I might know his power, that I might know his passion. The simple truth is is those things are not easy for us. Paul says, hey, that I might know his purpose, his purpose, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I can tell you in my own personal life, one of the greatest desires of my life is I've tried to walk and live the Christian life is to know Jesus Christ in the reality of such faith that it accepts as real. His presence, His power, and the ability that even though I have to fight the battle every day of knowing that one day I'm going to be made like Him, That day by day, in some small way, I can become more like him. More like him. That that somehow there'll be more of him in control and less of me. And folks, that is a daily battle. It's a conflict that we have to, to go through in this life. Paul is saying a similar thing. He said, hey, boy, I know I haven't arrived. I know I haven't attained yet. But I know that one of these days, I'm going to step out of this world. He said, nothing. The greatest degrees, the greatest positions, the greatest applause of man. Beware. Be careful. There's a lot of good people that are able to do good things, genuine, sincere people. But in fact, it's evil works. In fact, it's contrary to God. He said, I know because I was there. (laughs) He thought he was doing God a favor when he was out there persecuting the church and killing the Christians. He was doing God a favor. He was convinced of that until he truly came to know that Christ. We are in a race. And I want you to recognize something. I want you to think about something until, until next week. You see, I think so many times it's easy. We can take take his analogy here in verse 14 of pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and we can apply that in all kinds of ways, and a lot of those ways aren't bad. But to grasp and understand what he was meaning about the race that he was in, you know, what was that mark, that goal? I'm going to give you this. I want to come back and we'll look at these things. And I want to point this out to you. I believe that the greatest goal in the Apostle Paul's life and that race that he was running could be summed up in one word that would take in all the other things, Christlikeness, to be like Christ, to be like Christ in his life, in his thought, in his actions. He said, you know, I'm willing to lose everything else And there's some interesting things as we look at that verse. And you see, I'm I'm not just pulling this out of a hat. I believe that everything that leads up to it, as well as that verse itself, I believe that was his greatest goal, was to be like him. He said, I want to know him, his person, his power, his passion, his sufferings. I might know him his purpose for me, his purpose, that I might know his purpose, to be made like him, that being like Christ. You see, I believe that there is a prize at the end when we will all be made like him. But day by day by day, there should be a goal, an aim, a target with our lives to be like Christ. Christ. To be like Christ. And so as we look at this race that the apostle Paul was running, as you may see some of these athletes running over these next days and weeks, they're going for the gold. I want to challenge you and encourage you to think on these things. You know, what does this life have that's worthy of your attention, of your energies, of everything that you're trying to be or hope to be, of your efforts? What is it that's more important than knowing Him, His power, His passion, His purpose in your life to be like Christ? Would you be willing? Now remember, He went through some pretty tough days. He didn't exactly win the most popular guy in town in Jerusalem when he, when he left this world. Would you be willing to give everything else up to be like him, to be like him? Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, as we look at this passage and we try to get our heads around this, Lord, because we do, we do still have the flesh. We're far a long ways from that glorified body. We, well, we haven't attained yet. Lord, help us to have the right goal in sight. Help us to be putting forth our energies. Lord, I do believe with all my heart that every child of God, Lord, that they can win the gold. The thing is, though, we know that one day there's a promise of when this world is going to be behind and we will go through to be like him. Lord, I believe that that can be a reality in our lives right now here be like him, to know him, to know his power, his passion, his purpose. That's what we see, Lord, in this passage here that is before us. I pray that it would be a reality in our life. It's so easy, Lord. It's so easy to even just to come into a service like this and to sing a few songs and to read a few verses and say a few prayers and, and suffer through whatever the preacher's got to say, and go out and just go on with our lives. But Lord, I pray not that the words of this man, but by the power of your Spirit, that you would take and plant these words in our hearts tonight. Help us not to leave here the same because of what your word has accomplished in our lives. Help us that truly we can be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, I pray that you would take and help us that as we look at all the things that we are to this world and in this world and Everything that we've accomplished, both good and bad, and Lord, we'll look at some of those things later, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the right goal, to be aiming for the right thing in our lives, that not just one day down the way, but day by day, we might truly be more like Christ. We give you the praise and thanks for it. Of course, in Christ's name we pray, amen.